Okay. So this morning we start Advent. We had our Advent reading this morning from Psalm 77. That's where we're going to be. Um, Advent is a time of preparation uh, for us, preparing to celebrate the coming of Jesus. Um, that's what Christmas is all about. The word Advent itself uh, means arrival, and uh, it's the, the arrival of the one who was promised, the, the, the Messiah who would come, the King who would come. It's all about Christmas and the coming of Jesus. So for those of you who may not have a similar church tradition of celebrating Advent, um, just uh, that's what we are going to do for the coming weeks is talk about uh, the coming of Jesus and prepare our hearts to celebrate uh, Christmas. And uh, we'll talk uh, about uh, the Advent and the waiting, and we'll talk about how God's people have waited and how we wait as well. Um, and of course, we'll talk about, about Jesus. Like Israel, um, Israel in the Old Testament, they were waiting for the promised king. Uh, there has been one Advent, the king has come. Uh, but like Israel, we are waiting as well. In a dark and broken world, we are waiting for our king to return. And until he returns, we wait. And we wait um, not as hopeless as those who are hopeless, but we, we wait in hope of his coming. So we're going to look at Psalm 77, Waiting in Hope is the title of the message. Before we do, I want us to pray this morning, uh, just to pray that God would be good to, um, to teach us this morning. Um, we have already prayed, and I've prayed before this morning, just that God would help us to, um, to truly have the hope that, that He is giving us. Uh, at, at holidays, like we're, we've got Thanksgiving and now Christmas, uh, for some people, the, the holidays are great. And, um, man, you, you celebrate family, and you celebrate with family, and there's lots to celebrate. Uh, not everybody has that terrific family. Not everybody has all of the things to celebrate. And so sometimes uh, the season, the holidays are difficult, difficult for people who have lost family, difficult for people who may just be estranged from family, um, difficult for lots and lots of reasons. So as we pray... Um, Maybe that's not you. Pray for the people around you that it may be. Uh, pray that God would, would give them joy and, and peace this morning and, and help them, help us, to see the hope that we have in Jesus. Would you all pray that with me? Good. Let's pray together. Father, it is a privilege that we can even pray. It's only because of Jesus uh, that you invite us into your presence. That is... Is plenty to be thankful for. That you hear our prayers, you hear our requests. Um, Father, you are just good and gracious. Thank you that we can come together this morning and pray, and, and that's what we do. We, 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 we pray for this time this morning and for the days to come as well. Um, Father, help us. Holy Spirit, uh, open our ears and our eyes and soften our hearts this morning to... Um, to receive the good news of the gospel and to, to hope uh, during these holidays as we should hope. You have given us much to hope for and much to hope in. Um, help us, help us, help us. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Okay, uh, so Psalm 77 is where we're going to be, and I want to start just by talking about uh, the ebb and flow of hope, the ebb and flow of hope. Um, if we're honest, uh, hope is not very consistent for us. Uh, there are lots of times in, in, in our lives when we have hope, and no matter what our circumstances are, we have lots of hope and, and, and we're okay, but there are also other days when uh, our circumstances get to us and, and things seem hopeless. Now, when we talk about hope and hopelessness, when we talk about biblical hope, and that's what we're talking about this morning, um, if you've been around New City for long, you've heard me talk about this comparison, but um, biblical hope is not the kind of hope that we typically talk about in our culture. Biblical hope isn't um, a maybe or maybe not situation, like like, like, like maybe this will happen, maybe this won't happen. I'm, I'm really hoping that maybe it will. That's not the way the Bible works. I, I've told you all this before as well. I am a sad Falcons fan. Any other sad Falcons fans here this morning? Man, you guys, you even raised your hand. That is, that is good. Um, I am a sad Falcons fan. Somebody this morning was like, I, don't, I won't even admit I'm a Falcons fan. Hung my jersey up and it's never coming out again. I, I every year, I, I, I cannot not be a Falcons fan. Like, I should. I should find another team and just put the Falcons behind me. My days would be probably much brighter if I did that, right? Because the truth is, um, I hope the Falcons will win every week, and I watch them, and then I take a nap. And the reason that I take a nap is because all of my hope is usually gone uh, for the Falcons, and, and in, instead of having biblical hope, which is a confident expectation in the Falcons, what I have is the absolute opposite. I am certain that somehow the Falcons are going to blow it again, right? They always find a way to do that. Biblical hope is a confident expectation, like I hope maybe the Falcons will win today. Disappointed again. Biblical hope is a confident expectation. I, I confidently expect something to happen. Even though it hasn't happened, no matter what the circumstances are, I have confidence that it is going to happen. Hope in that biblical sense isn't wishy-washy. It, it, it's certain and it's stable. Even in the face of uncertainty, there is the confident expectation. Even in the midst of chaos and darkness, there is certainty. That's biblical hope. That's what we're talking about today. Now, sometimes in life, we experience that. Other times in life, the darkness and the chaos and the madness around us, our circumstances overwhelm us, and, and we, we move from being hopeful and having a confident expectation to hopelessness. And we find ourselves overwhelmed. Sometimes, that's where we find ourselves, hopeless. I know I have been there, I assume, uh, I think rightly, that most of you guys have as well, um, alone in the darkness. At least that's what it feels like. We are alone in the darkness. Uh, if you are here this morning and you think, God, that guy is really depressing, I'm never coming back here, um, maybe you've never experienced this. If that's you this morning, um, man, praise God. But you need to listen because you will. 
It is a part of human experience. You will feel this way at some point. You will feel in your life alone in the darkness and overwhelmed. Those were the feelings of the psalmist. Um, look at Psalm 77 with me. And if you're turning there, um, we'll have it on the screen. If not, we are really uncertain who wrote this psalm. We don't know for sure who the writer was. We don't know exactly when it was written. We don't know the, the circumstances uh, with certainty that led the psalmist to, to write this. We don't, we don't know the circumstances that led to his despair. But what we do see clearly in this psalm is despair and aloneness. Psalm 77 verse 1. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. Selah. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in his anger shut up his compassion? Selah. I love the honesty in the Psalms as a whole. I love the honesty and the very real emotions that are expressed here. This is what it feels like to suffer. This is what it feels like to suffer, to wonder, uh, to ask, and to ask, and to ask, and to ask again. And in the darkness and in the silence of, of the asking, to feel all alone. I cry aloud to God. My hand is stretched out without wearying. This is a, a posture of prayer from the psalmist and, and pleading, pleading without end to hear from God. My soul is not comforted. I, I moan. My spirit faints. I can barely hold my eyes open. I am so troubled, the psalmist says, that I can't speak. Have you ever been there in your own life? I, I, I have. And, and I have asked the same questions that the psalmist is asking here. Broken, tired, unable to sleep, crying out to God, wondering, wondering where he is. Verse, verse 7, will the Lord reject me in disdain forever? I felt that way. Will I ever find favor with him again? Has his love for me stopped? Will you ever love me again? Are your promises for me revoked has your grace for me run dry? Have you, God, in your anger, shut off your compassion? God, do you see me? Do you care? Alone in the darkness. That's what the psalmist felt as he was writing this. And those weren't just his feelings. Those were the feelings as well of Israel. Before we come to the New 
Testament books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that tell us the stories about the birth of Jesus, Christmas, right, and, and the start of the church. What for us is only the turn of a page in our Bibles from, from Malachi to Matthew, for Israel was 400 years 400 years from the Old Testament to the New Testament, 400 years of silence. 400 years that God's people received no word from Him. Even before those years of silence, God's people suffered in darkness. The nation of Israel had divided into two kingdoms, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And as they were at odds with one another, they turned on one another and, and, and fought. They fought against their own family. Almost 600 years before the coming of Jesus, Israel had, had been overtaken, northern and southern kingdom together, all together by the Babylonians. The Babylonians came, they destroyed the walls, they destroyed the city the entire city, they took the people into captivity, taking them by thousands and ten thousands, leaving behind in Israel only the old and the feeble and the weak and the sick. When they did finally regain their freedom, they were only a shadow of what they had been. They were still weak in the world, poor, and they were far from God. The prophets continued to write during this time all the way through Malachi, pleading with the rulers of God's people, the, the, the kings and the religious leaders, pleading, begging with them, return to God, return, return to Him. But for a faithful few, no one listened to the pleadings of the prophets and Israel suffered. And after Malachi came 400 years of silence. In, in all of the darkness, the Lord shut the mouths of the prophets. No more would the people hear from their God. Israel's neighbors would be a constant thorn, raiding the cities, stealing, destroying, killing. The Persians followed the Babylonians. After the Babylonians, the Persians came. And after the Persians, it was the Greeks, and then it was the Romans. For God's people, this is not the way it was supposed to be. This is not the way they thought that it would be. God was supposed to bless them. God was supposed to bless them. He was supposed to bring them peace and prosperity. He had promised a king to them, right? They, 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 they were looking forward to the king who would come, who would rule them righteously and justly and with strength and, and wisdom and empathy, and, and they would be a, a nation above all other nations. I'm sure the words of Psalm 77 rang in the hearts of those who still loved and followed God, those who remembered the promises. Like our psalmist, they cried out to God. They prayed unending with outstretched arms. They moaned in their pains and their spirits fainted. They were so troubled like our psalmist that in their longings, they could not speak. Will the Lord spurn us, they had to ask. Will the Lord spurn us forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love for us ceased forever? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious to us? Has he in anger shut up his compassion for us? Darkness. 
Their days of hope turn to hopelessness. I think most of us know that feeling. I don't think this is foreign to us either. Sometimes, sometimes we believe other people don't feel this way. That makes us feel even more alone. We pretend like everything is fine. We smile. We say everything is fine. We say that because we, we wonder, are, are we truly alone? Does anyone feel this way, especially other Christians? Surely no other Christian experiences these feelings of, of doubt and despair and blame. That's one of the reasons that I love the Psalms. See, the truth is others do feel those feelings. Others do despair just as you despair. Others feel desperate and alone. Others feel overwhelmed by life. Circumstances often for all of us feel much too heavy. And our fears sometimes turn to blame and accusation. And that's what was happening with, with the psalmist. That's what the psalmist was doing. What the psalmist was doing is phrasing this as a question, but it was a question that was, was overflowing from accusation toward God. You spurn me, God. You, you reject me, God. You, you, you turn your back on me. God, you don't love me. In your anger, God, you have shut off your compassion for me. It is gone, and you have no compassion for me in my suffering. God, you don't care. I want you to know a couple of things this morning. You are not alone in those feelings. Again, that's why I love the Psalms. You are not alone in those feelings. And I, I want you to know, not just that you're not alone, but I want you to know as well that God can handle your questions. God can handle your questions. God can even handle your accusations. Hear me this morning. You don't irritate God. But when you have those questions, when you have that doubt, when you, when you have the fear, when you don't trust him, God is not irritated with you. He is never angered by those doubts. He never says, I cannot believe that you feel that way. God never says that about you. He isn't put off by the way that you feel towards him. He isn't put off by the, by the feelings that you have, by the questions that you have. He's not put off by your doubts. The truth is he knows you. You don't have to pretend with him. You don't have to hide from him. He knows you. He, he knows you deeply and intimately. He knows you personally. He knows you better than you know yourself. He, he knows you. He knows the good. He knows the bad. He knows the ugly. And here is the beautiful part of this. He knows all of those things about you, the worst of those things. He knows all of your doubts, whether you express them or not. He knows all of your questions, whether you ask them or not. He knows all of the accusations that you have for him, even when you don't voice them, and he loves you. Isn't that incredible? If, if anything, if anything in those times for you as a good father, he hurts for you. Hope ebbs and flows. Sometimes we are, we are filled with hope and, and, and the confidence and the joy that goes along with that, the peace that goes with that hope. 
Other times we find ourselves like the psalmist, without hope, hopeless and feeling alone. So, so what can we do? What, what can we do when we are, are there? Or, or what can we do if we find ourselves headed that direction? What can we do? The psalmist is a great help for us here. Hope, the hope that we desire, hope is found in remembering. Hope is found in remembering. Let's, let's look at this again, starting in verse 7. With the questions, will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in his anger shut up his compassion? Selah. Then, verse 10, I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the most I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. Selah. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled, the the clouds poured out water, the skies gave forth thunder, your arrows flashed on every side, the crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind, your lightnings lighted up the world, the earth trembled and shook, your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. I will remember the deeds of the Lord, verse 11. I will remember. This is true not only of the the psalmist, but Israel as well. In fact, this, this psalm was written as the psalmist worked through this, but it was written for the whole of Israel as well. Their way forward was the same as his. This psalm was meant to be a, a psalm of worship. It was meant to be read together, to be, to be sung as an act of congregational worship for Israel. Here, what, what, what we're saying is, here, Israel, here is how we move forward from this, this place of darkness and despair, how we are moved from these overwhelming feelings of hopelessness because of our circumstances. Here is how we are moved from hopelessness to hope. Remember. Remember. I love this part as well, the words that are used here. In, in, in verse 11, he says emphatically, I will remember, yes, I will remember. Repeating it, I will remember, verse 12, I will ponder. I, I, will, I will carefully think about all of your work. And I will meditate, I will consider and think deeply, dwelling again and again and again on your mighty deeds. I will remember, verse 13. Your way is holy, and you are great. The psalmist doesn't just recite the works once or twice in his head. No, it is again and again and again that the psalmist is reminding himself. And what the psalmist is doing is reminding himself of who God is and what God has done. He dwells there. 
He camps there. That is what he is meditating on, what he is thinking deeply about. This is what we mean at New City when we talk about gospel fluency. Sometimes we need to remind ourselves again and again and again who God is and what he's done for us. Sometimes we need the help of brothers and sisters around us who see us in our, in our darkness, in our despair, in our feelings of aloneness. We need brothers and sisters who will remind us of who we truly believe that God is and what he has done. The psalmist was wrongly believing that God's love had dried up. That, that, that God had abandoned him, that his, his grace and his mercy had run out. This is misbelief and disbelief. So he fights that. He fights that in his own life. And then he helps the congregation of Israel as he's written this psalm. He helps the congregation of Israel in this way as well. He's reminding himself and reminding them of what he believes and they truly believe. About God, your way is holy, and you, God, are great. He remembers and he reminds Israel of the stories of God and his people. You made known to us, he says, your might. You have shown us works of wonder. You stretched out your arm and you redeemed us from the slavery of Egypt. You saved us from a nation far greater than we were. You saved us. When our people left Egypt and, and everything seemed like, this is the Exodus story that he's remembering. How God delivered his people from slavery and, and was with them as they traveled through the wilderness. When they came to the Red Sea, they came to the Red Sea after leaving Egypt. And the, the armies of Egypt were in pursuit of them and gaining on them. They came to the Red Sea with nowhere to go. They were, they were trapped and they felt hopeless in that moment. The Red Sea was before us, the, the, the armies of Egypt closing in. God, the waters saw you. They saw you even when we didn't. The waters saw your great face and they trembled. Remember how he parted the sea? Oh God, you parted the sea and the people walked across on dry land. And when the armies of Egypt tried to follow and capture us, the roaring waves crashed down on them and our enemy was destroyed. He recounts the numerous ways, though he doesn't list them all here, that the people of Israel were, were led and, and cared for and fed as God shepherded his people like a flock through Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. God loved them. God provided for them. God protected them even when they disobeyed. Even when they doubted. Even when their sin kept them in the wilderness for decades. God never left them. God continued to love them, and God continued to provide for them, leading them all the time. Hope comes again when the psalmist remembers. No, God's love has not run out. When he remembers the love of God for his people, he, he, he says, no, no, God's love has not run out. No, God has not abandoned us. He has not abandoned me. He has not abandoned his people. No, his mercy and his compassion have not dried up again and again and again. God has provided for his people. No, 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 no again. God has not left us alone in the darkness. That's what this is about. 
Hope comes in remembering. Hope came for the psalmist as he remembered. Hope came for Israel as they remembered. And the same is true for us. How do we combat this? We combat our hopelessness the same way that they did. The truth is we are, we are never alone in the darkness, even when it feels that we are. He has promised us that he will never leave us and he will never forsake us. His, his, his mercies are new every morning for us. His word promises that. His love never fails for us. He tells us that. And we know that because the love that the Father has for us is agape love. That's the word that's used over and over in the New Testament. Agape love is not a love that's based on how well we've performed, whether we've sinned or we've not sinned, whether we've been holy and, and righteous or whether we have not. Agape love is an unmerited love. It's love without conditions. Has his love run out for us? No. His love will never run out for us. Like the psalmist and like Israel, we, we need to remind ourselves of those promises. And sometimes we need the help of others who will remind us of those truths. We need to remember. We need to remember not, not once or twice, but we need to preach this good news to ourselves over and over and over again, just like the psalmist did. We need to, to ponder his amazing works. We need to think deeply, deeply about all that God has done. We need to dwell there. We need to dwell when we, when we feel overwhelmed and like there is nothing good around us. Dwell in the goodness of God and all the good things that he has done. Dwell in his mighty deeds when you feel like there is no way out. Dwell on the stories of, of God's wondrous works in and for Israel. The Old Testament is filled with that. Dwell on the good things that we see in the New Testament again, again, and again, and again. Recount the things that God has done. Recount his deeds, even in the book of Acts that we've been going through. Recount how God was always faithful to his promises. How everything that Jesus said was going to happen, happened. Remember. But listen, don't stop at remembering the Bible stories. They are great, and we should. But remember the goodness of God in your own life and the lives of the people around you. R remember, remember how he protected you. Remember how he protected you when there was, there was absolutely no way you should have come through, and you did. Remember how, how he provided for you over and over again. Don't skim those things in your life. Don't skim over them. Don't rush through them. Be like the psalmist. Recount all of the ways. Recount all of the ways that God has been good and gracious to you. Through your family, maybe. Through your job. Through, through, through food, finances, friends. Every single blessing. Remember them. I was reminded this week as, as, as I was preparing for today uh, about the, the many, many, many ways that, that God has been gracious to me and the way that God has been gracious to New City Church. And I've shared this one with you before. I'm sharing it again with you. When, when I was 30, it seems like yesterday, doesn't it? When I was 30, I, I, I quit my job and I, I 
packed up, our family packed up, and we moved to Birmingham so that I could finish school to one day become a pastor. When we were there, I was, I was a full-time student, right? So I'm a full-time student, married. I've got two little kids. I am going to school most all day, every day. And then in the afternoon, I'm trying to work part-time. What I'm trying to tell you there is my life was full of everything but money. I mean, we were poor, and and, and it, it was it was it was day to day sometimes. And I, I I remembered I remembered this day that um, I would go to school, I would go to school, and then I would leave school, and I would go to work, and then I would leave work. Sometimes I would leave work and go back to school, and then back to work, and then home. I remember driving home one day, and it was I don't know about a twenty minute drive. My, my gas light on the car had been on. And I was driving home and, and, and thinking, exhausted, like, I, I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know how I'm going to get back to school tomorrow. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know how I'm going to get to work. We literally, I mean this, literally, we, we had no money. We had no money. And so I'm driving home, and, and I, I, I am defeated and in despair. I feel inadequate. I think I can say honestly, I felt like God had abandoned me. I felt like I couldn't provide for my family, and there was, there was nothing that I could do. I was, I was heartbroken, and I felt completely alone. Days before my light came on, on my car, there was a group of old ladies. I know that's not the nicest way to say it, but I want you to get the picture. There was this group of of little old ladies, a WMU group, at a church here in Macon, Tabernacle Baptist Church. They, They had been praying for us. And days before my light came on, after they prayed for us, they, they, they passed the plate. And in this handful of little old ladies, they gave $25. And they mailed it to us. And in my despair and darkness, I came home to find $25 in cash. A gracious gift from my father, reminding me that I was not alone and that life was not nearly as dark as I imagined. Remember those days. You have those stories in your life. Remember, remember those days. Those, those little old ladies had no idea, but that day... They were God's Moses and Aaron to my family. God shepherding us through them. He has done it so many times. And, 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 and this is the truth. I know it. I sometimes forget it. And I, I might need you to remind me. 
when I remember those things, when I dwell on those things, when I ponder those things, the many times that God has provided for me, then the doubt and despair in my life are always turned into a confident expectation. Not a confident expectation because I've figured it out or I've done things well. A confident expectation in the God who is always, always, always faithful and true. Even to me. And it's... As if that is not enough for us, right? As if, as if it isn't enough that we can, we can look to the Word of God and see His faithfulness to His people throughout the centuries. As if it's not enough to see in the pages of the Old Testament. As if it's not enough to look at our own lives and say, Aha, see how you've done it. As if it's not enough that, that we can look at the lives of our friends and family around us and see the same things. We have even more. We have more than the psalmist ever imagined, more than Israel had ever seen, because we have Christmas. Right? We have Christmas. And, and if there's any reason for us to truly hope and have a confident expectation in God, it is Christmas. Christmas is the reason for our hope. Our confident expectation is it, it rests in the good news of the gospel, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, right? Living the life that we can't live, dying the death that we deserve, being raised on the third day to life, giving us life forevermore in his presence, forgiven and free. But you cannot have the gospel without Christmas. So let's go back to those, those, those questions from the psalmist. And, and they're questions that I think most of us at some point have asked in our own lives. The, the accusations that he made, we go back to those questions. Verse 7, will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Listen to Galatians 4, beginning in verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. This is, this is Christmas, right? Born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And I add daughters. And because you are sons and daughters, God has sent the, the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave but a son or a daughter. And if a son or a daughter, then an heir through God. Will the Lord spurn us forever? Will he never again be favorable? You have the favor of the Father if you are a believer. You have the favor of the Father, the greatest, most perfect, most loving, and kind Father that ever has been, that ever will be. He has called you to himself and in Christ adopted you as a son or daughter forever. Forever you have favor in the Father's eyes. You are a child and an heir forever and ever and ever. Never to be rejected. Never to be rejected. Always in his favor. Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Has God stopped loving me forever? Absolutely not. Romans eight thirty five. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tri tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword 
Verse 37, know in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing. Has, has the Lord stopped loving me? God, have you stopped loving me? No, 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 nothing, 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 nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus that is yours. Nothing. No, no, no failing, no falling, no mistake, no sin, no thought, no word, n- n- nothing, no other person, nothing, no other power, nothing, nothing, nothing. Nothing can separate you from his love. His love will not cease for you because of Jesus. Are his promises, God, God, are you done? Are you revoking your promises? Are you taking back those promises? Have I lost your promises? Never. 2 Corinthians 1.20 For all the promises of God find their yes in him. Who is him? Jesus. All of the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to the glory of God. Yes, 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 and amen to every promise that God has ever made in Christ. In Christ, we are are forgiven. In Christ, we are set free. In Christ, we have victory. In Christ, we are given every blessing in the spiritual heavenlies. In in, in Christ, we we are adopted as sons and daughters. In Christ, we are made heirs with him. In Christ, every promise of God is yes, yes, and yes again. Yes, forever and ever and ever. Has God forgotten to be gracious? God, are you, are you taking away your grace? God, has your grace run out on me? I, I have experienced so much grace in my life. It, 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 have I just exhausted all the grace that was due me? Again, the answer is never. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious, what? Grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his, what? Grace, grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. Grace that he pours out and continues to pour out. Grace that he showers us with from this day and forevermore. Never, never, never will his grace be removed. Have you used all of the grace? Never, never. Has he forgotten to be gracious? Never. Grace, grace, and more grace. 
Has he in anger shut up his compassion? You know, the, the psalmist, we don't know what happened, but this question of anger makes, makes the, the theologians believe that there was some event in the, in the psalmist's life, some sin in his life. Is God so angry with me because of what I've done in my life that he is withdrawing his compassion? Does he, does he no longer care, the psalmist asks? No. That is not the case at all. Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, God did not begin to love us because we got ourselves together. He loved us when we were yet sinners. And apart from Christ, we are still sinners. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from what? From the wrath of God. Has he in his anger shut up his compassion? Listen to me this morning. God is not angry with you. If you are a child, if you are a believer, God has no wrath for you. All of the wrath, all of the anger that, that, that should have been yours, Jesus has taken for you. That's what the cross was all about. That's what his life of suffering was all about. All of God's wrath toward sin was taken for you on the cross. Jesus took that. Jesus substituted himself for you. Jesus, the Bible says, is the substitute. He is the propitiation. His anger, God's anger toward you and toward your sin, your past sin, your present sin, the sin you're going to commit later today or tomorrow, all of his wrath has been set aside. It has been poured out on Jesus. It's satisfied. He's not angry with you. He's not going to be angry with you. Here. Here is where our hope is ultimately found. In Jesus. In, in, in Christmas. Our hope is not, not in the God who is, who is good and mighty because we have been good. Our hope is not in, in a God who just does some occasional nice things. But, but, but in the God who sent his son that very first Christmas to answer the psalmist's questions. To answer our questions. To not only meet us in our despair and darkness, but to give us true and lasting hope. This is Christmas. Our confident expectation in every promise of God. This is our hope, even, even in a fallen world. Our hope was born the day we call Christmas. God, help us to remember. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the way that you have protected and provided for the countless ways. Lord, Lord forgive us. We've forgotten. We've forgotten more than we remember of your goodness. It does not change your goodness. Help us. Help us to remember 
your goodness, your goodness in, in, the, in the word that you've given us and the way that you have um, worked in and through your people from the beginning. Help us to remember in the lives of our, our friends and family the way that we've seen you at, at work where we see that you are faithful and true, help us to remember again and again in our own lives the, the countless ways that you, you have been good to us, to know that we are not alone, we are not alone in the darkness. Jesus is our greatest gift. Help us to remember. Help us to remember that beautiful gift and the gift of Christmas. We love you. It's in his name we pray. Amen.